Well, I'm excited to be here with you guys. You guys are my crowd. You are the 9 o'clock group. Because at our church, we have two services, and I always go to the 9 o'clock service. So you are the guys that I like to talk to because you like to get in, get the day going, and, and get going, and, uh, and get your day behind you as you can move along. Um, when Chris told me that they were going to be gone, initially when he said it, he didn't tell me that everybody was going to be gone. I thought it was just Chris that was going to be gone. And then I, I guess it was probably about two or three days later, I was talking to Nathan, um, and he said, yeah, we're all going to be gone. It's like, great, I'm the substitute teacher now. <laughs> and we all know how the kids act when the substitute teacher shows up in the class. Um, so I get it. If y'all act up, do whatever, you know, it all stays with me. I don't pass that information along. You don't pass along what I did, and we'll all be good in that, because I've been in that role several times. So, but anyway, yeah, my name is Rusty Campbell. I'm the head of school at Pleasant View Christian School, and um, first of all, I want to say it was such a pleasure about a year and a half ago getting to worship with you guys when you guys were using our facility um, over at the school um, during COVID, and you guys were remodeling and things like that. So, uh, I think I was able to worship with you five or six times over there, and it was a, just a, a blessing and an experience that I enjoyed immensely. And so when Chris asked me if I would be willing to come over and do this, I said, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I'm not going to talk a lot about the school today because most of you know uh, where the school is, especially if you came over during that time. Um, and I see several families here who, who are part of our school. Um, and I know that all of us have different um, reasons why our children in different places. But I do think that I have a message that is relative to everyone who has any interaction with kids at all. Whether that be a parent, whether that be a grandparent, whether that just be you're involved in this church who has such a strong emphasis on, on dealing with students. Um, and preparing students for the next phases of their lives. I think we all have a responsibility as Christians to, to be involved in the lives of our students. So um, I'm going to start us off with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for um, this group of people who have chosen to come here on this Lord's Day to, to worship you, um, to hear from your word. And I pray that you'll, you'll be with our time together. Bless it um, in all that we do. We ask these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, just a little bit of transparency. Um, do you guys remember those old records that they would, you had the books that went along with it, and as, as the story was going along, they would make that little ding noise, and it was time to turn the page. Okay, some of you are nodding your head yes. Some of you are like, what is a record? Um, <laughs> Uh, that's kind of the way I feel right now because I don't have a presentation remote and John is up there doing a fabulous job but I don't know that my cues to her to change slides are going to be on par so if you hear me say next slide that's that we're kind of going with that that model of the record saying ding and we turn the page to to the next one so John if you can go ahead and jump to the next slide for me I'd appreciate it we are all aware of what's going on in our culture we, we can't be a part of this world without knowing what's happening in our culture um, and, you know, I, 
there are people who say this is the worst time in the history of the world. You know, I don't know that this is necessarily the worst time in the history of the world. I'm a history major. I remember, the, I, I remember studying about the Roman Empire. I remember studying about all the things that were happening with regards to that. But I would say I think we are moving at a pace faster than we've ever moved at in the history of our, our world, and especially in recent time of the direction that our culture is going. And I feel like we are in a battle right now for the next generation. And that's why I think this is so important for, for our students um, and for our grandkids and all of the kids who we interact with, who we have an influence on, um, that we realize the battle that we are in for their souls, for their hearts, for their minds, because we are fighting a battle um, against, uh, against Satan. Next slide, please. So Paul tells us in Ephesians, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so what I have to remember as I, as I lead our school, as I deal with kids every single day, um, you know, they, they, you have these situations that arise and you're like, bless your heart, you just don't understand what you're doing sometimes and the decisions that you're making. But I have to remember, I'm not fighting against them. I'm fighting against Satan. That's ultimately who I'm fighting with because God has called us to love our kids. He's called us to love each other. But the battle that we are fighting against is against Satan. It's against spiritual darkness and in high places, against principalities. Next slide, please. Then John, Jesus tells us in John 8, 44, talking about Satan, he says, he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Is he a liar? and the father of lies. You see, that's what we're fighting against. We're fighting against the lies that Satan is telling to, to us as adults, to our students, to, to our world, to our culture, because he is the father of lies. There is no truth in him. So we're constantly fighting against those things. You know, he's, not the, he's not the father of, of murder. He's not the father of abortion. He's not the father of theft. He's the father of lies. And what he does is he constantly deceives us. And we see that in our culture today. When, when has there been a time where we've been told that things that we always were told were right are now wrong? And things that we were always told were wrong are now right? I mean, you can't have the news on for more than 30 minutes and see these things happening. That they're telling us things that we always were told were wrong are now right. And those of us who stand up against it to tell truth, to be right, are now told that we are wrong. And so that's the battle that we're fighting. That's, that's the message that our kids are getting on a constant basis, over and over and over again. And it's up to us, as parents, as grandparents, to make sure that they know what truth is because Satan is feeding them lies. Next slide, please. So a little background, going backwards. Where is Satan, Satan attacking us? The, the first place that he's attacking us is with our families. You see, going all the way back to creation, Genesis chapter 1, God created things in a certain way. He created it in a beautiful, pristine order that when he looked at it, he said, this is good. But you get past chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis and get into chapter 3, and all of a sudden we see Satan begins to insert himself. And this is where the fall happens. Because in Genesis chapter 3, you guys know the story, Adam and Eve in the garden, and Satan catches Eve in the garden by herself. And what does he do to her? He lies to her. He deceives her. He basically says, he makes her doubt what God said is true. He attacks truth from the very beginning. 
he says, did God really say that you're going to die? You know, he attacks that. But then he also goes on and says, you can be a God as well, because he says, you know, if you eat of this fruit, you're not going to die, and you're going to be as a God. You're going to know good from evil. And so Satan has attacked our families, and from that point forward, it's constantly been an attack on our families to completely tear it down, to completely destroy our families. And that has been going on since Genesis chapter 3. And so we see that today. We see that in the attacks on our families with the, the, the concept of marriage, of marriage between a, between a woman and a man, um, between, in the concept of identity, gender identity. Satan is attacking all those things that have been foundational that God gave us in, in the first book, in the first few chapters of Genesis. Next slide. Then the second thing is that he, so once, once sin happened, once sin entered into our world, basically you see this, our world devolves into chaos. Um, and you, you can look at the first brothers, you know, Cain kills Abel right away. And so things are, we have problems. So God has to institute governments basically to protect people in a certain way. And as long as governments protect people in a way that is God-given and God-ordained, then we're going to have justice. But what we see in our governments now is we are not protecting people in a way that God ordained. And it's breaking down our system of justice. Um, but we know that God has provided governments. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 13 that governments are given by the authority of God. But what Satan has tried to do is he's tried to control the government by taking it and saying the role of the government is to provide for people versus protect people. And so we see that as long as government becomes this ultimate source of provision, that gives Satan the power to control and to um, put him in a position of God um, amongst people. All right, and then the third thing that we see is that he attacks our church. And so when the Holy Spirit came in Acts, um, God... God sent the Holy Spirit to the disciples, to those believers there, and we see the beginnings of the church take place. And out of that was this great movement. It's a great, if you haven't done a study in Acts, I would encourage you to look at that to see the, the church growth that took place in, in the book of Acts where there's thousands and thousands and thousands of pe people being added. Well, again, this is a problem for Satan because it starts to undermine what he's trying to accomplish. And so he starts to insert himself, and we know that he can't destroy the church because Christ has told us that it's built on the rock. So we know that he's not going to be able to destroy it, but he's doing everything in his power to weaken the influence of the church. I know I've seen it in the church where I worship. I'm sure you've seen it in your churches. Um, the church where you worship, if you've been involved with other churches, there's always this underlying faction that might be taking place, and it's Satan's attempt to undermine and to weaken the church. And see, these are the things that our generation, that our, that our kids are going to be facing as, as they move forward. Next slide. But as we look at our students, as we look at our children, as we look at our grandchildren, I always go back to this passage in Psalm, Psalm 127.4, that says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. To me, what I get out of that is that I am responsible for my son. I am responsible for the students that I am given charge over every day over at Pleasant View Christian to make sure that I am preparing them for the battle that they're going to face. You see, when a warrior back in these days was preparing his arrows for battle, he had to make sure that it was going to fly true. He had to make sure that it was going to do its job. And so in the process of that, you know, he had to take these arrows, he had to make sure that the shaft was straight, 
you have to make sure that the arrow is sharpened because you don't want just a dull arrow hitting something that's not going to do anything. It has to make sure that the, the, the feathers um, on them are, are such a way so that it flies straight and so that when it hits its target, it will do what it was intended to do. And so I think that's what the, the psalmist is telling us here is that that is where our children are right now. We, those of us who are responsible for children, those of us who are in, in the process of feeding into their lives are preparing them for the battle that we know that they are going to face. And so we're called to prepare them, but called to, because again, we have always adopted, my wife and I have always adopted the, the philosophy of raising our, our son that he, he is God's and he's not ours to keep. So I don't know what God's plan for is, is for him one day, but I know that one day after my time of stewardship is over with, I'm going to launch him out into the world. And I want to make sure that he has a strong, solid foundation that regardless of whatever hits him, he's going to be able to stand up against it. Do we do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But also, as a head of school at Pleasant View Christian School, I feel like it's our responsibility to make sure that every student that's in our building is at least equipped to be able to do these things. Now, we all know that, that the people have the free will. They can make choices. They can make their own decisions. Um, and not, not all of them are going to make the decisions that we would like for them to make. But again, I think it's biblical. That's not our job to worry about the decision. Our job is to prepare them because when Jesus said to go out and spread the gospel, all he did was say, go out and tell. You know, we don't have any control over the decisions they make later on. But this is what Psalms 127.4 is telling us to prepare them. So what does every child needs to know? And I think there are four things, four major things that every child needs to know as, as those of us who are given responsibility to steward them should make sure that they have with them. The first one is for them to know God. If they don't know God, if they don't know who God is, if, and when I say know God, I mean having a deep, intimate, personal relationship with God. If they don't know who God is and they don't have that deep, personal relationship, the rest of these things aren't going to matter. Because ultimately, that's, that's what it takes, is we have to know who God is. We have to know his, his um, nature. We have to know what he sees as pure and holy. Um, but we also have to know that he is a God who is, um, will judge us. He, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And so I think our students have to know God. So how do we do that? Going to Deuteronomy 6, 5, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Next slide. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So a little, little setup for this. This is Moses talking to the Israelites after they have left Exodus. And he's talking to all of them and saying, this is, this, these are the things that we need to do. These are the things that we need to be teaching our children. Because they just left Egypt, and they, they really hadn't had this training. It wasn't like they had churches in, in Egypt. They, had, they were able to worship a little bit, but not to the extent where they got the information that they needed. So Moses is providing them that information. Go on the next slide. And he says, you shall teach them diligently to your child or children. And diligently means you have to be on purpose. You have to be intentional. It can't be just something that we hope happens. We have to make the time with our kids to make sure that they get this information. Yes, it's, it's great to, um, it's, it's kind of like the, you, you guys have all heard the example of the, of the fella who um, was having problems with his wife and he said, the, the um, counselor said, well, how often do you tell her you love her? I said, well, I told her when we got married, I don't have to tell her after that. 
you know, but yeah, that's going to cause problems if you're not telling it. You've got to be intentional about telling your kids. You've got to be intentional about giving them this information. And he says, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, I've tried this to figure out if there was a time throughout my day when I was not sitting, walking, lying down, or standing up. There's not too many times throughout the day where I'm not doing one of these. You know, um, and what Moses is saying is it has to be a part of your everyday life. It has to be involved in everything that you do, that you are giving this information to your kids, that you're talking to them. That's part of being diligent. Next slide. So we have to make sure that they know God, and we have to be intentional about making sure that we give them that information. The second thing is, is they have to know God's word. Um, there's a, um, back in, I think it was 2017, um, the, you guys remember the Pontiac Silver Dome? Um, used to be where the Detroit Lions played. It was a big, a big dome arena that was up in Detroit, built back in 1975. Well, in December of 2017, um, the, the, the Silver Dome had gotten to a point where it was, it was about to fall down. It was, they, went, they hadn't used it for a few years. They had actually moved somewhere else and they were playing. And so they had this piece of real estate that was valuable to them that they, had to, they were wanting to gain back. So they brought in a firm that was going to implode the Silver Dome and get rid of it. So they brought this firm in. This firm takes the dynamite and, of course, they're putting it in strategic places around the, around the building where there's steel beams and everything like that. Everything's in place. And at 8.30 that morning, this crowd of people had stood, gotten there to watch the implosion of the Silver Dome. And so the time hit, they pushed the detonator button, and of course the dynamite went off, debris goes everywhere. When the debris clears and they settles, what did they see? The silver dome had not come down. There was some damage to the structure, but it had not fallen down. And it was overheard in the crowd, one of the, the people who was watching it said, it was built too well. Now, you might think, well, maybe that firm didn't have um, they weren't very good at their jobs or they didn't have experience, they didn't know what they were doing. Well, the same firm about six months prior had been the same group of people who had imploded the Georgia Dome when they took the Georgia Dome down and it had no problems with bringing it down. So it wasn't like they were inept or inexperienced. It was because the Silver Dome had been built so well that it didn't come down. And I think that's part of what I'm getting at here is that we have to give our students the information that they are rooted and grounded so well that regardless of what comes at them, they'll be able to withstand it. Yeah, they may get banged up and they may get bruised, but they're going to stand. And that's from knowing God and knowing God's Word. Next slide. And what I mean by saying knowing God's Word, there's, there's a couple of levels you can look at that. We, know, we all know these people who you can give them any Bible trivia fact and they can answer the question, but then you look at their lives and it's like, you know the Bible, but you don't know the Bible. You know, and, and so at, at the school, we, we talk about biblical worldview formation. We want people, we want our students to be able to know how Scripture relates to every facet of their life. And I think if you look at Scripture, there's one overarching story that goes all the way through Scripture. It's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I talked about creation. I talked about the fall. And if God had stopped it right there, we would be hopeless in our sins. We would have no opportunity to restore that relationship with him. But redemption was when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and allowed us a way that we could be restored back into the fellowship 
with Jesus, with God, to have that relationship of knowing God and being able to know him in the way that God wants us to know him. But then beyond that is restoration, which means the book of Revelation talks about that we will have a new heaven and a new earth. Things will go back to the way God had originally intended for them to be back in Genesis. And I think it's a great bookend of this perfect, pristine environment that God created to this perfect, pristine environment that God's going to provide for us um, at, at restoration. And so being able to look at everything through the lens of Scripture of knowing this is something that's happening. Why is this happening? Why, does, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I think that's still part of the fall. You know, we still live in this fallen world. We're not at that point where everything has been restored. And so sin is in our world. And so things are going to happen. But because Jesus loves us, because God loves us, he provides a way for us to have strength through those times, through those situations, even though we look at them and go, I don't know why this is happening. But I can trust in God and know that ultimately he has a greater plan than I have that ultimately leads to that plan for restoration. And so when we talk about knowing God's word, it's giving our students the ability to see how scripture permeates everything in their lives. And then knowing God's works. You see, I think... Um, we do good a lot of times about bringing our kids to church, about having family devotions, about doing these things where we talk about God, we talk about his word, but we, do we talk about the works and the amazing things that God has done? Um, you see, if we're not talking about the things God has done, our kids don't have that anchor to really understand what it is that we're talking about. And I think this goes to things that happened way in the past, but one of the things that we have talked about recently at the school and even in our household is the work of God through COVID. You know, that's a recent event that we can look at and say, God protected us as a school. God protected us as a family. I know there were a lot of things in talking to, to your church leadership that happened at this church as far as just your remodeling process that happened because of COVID that if we, you guys hadn't been shut down here and been over at the school and if we hadn't been at the had the school open to you, might not have been able to take place. But God's works was in all of that moving forward. But the problem is, is if we don't talk about God's works to our kids, they're going to be a generation that don't know him. Next slide. You see, this passage right here, Judges chapter 2, comes at the third generation of, of people who had left um, Egypt. You know, you go back to Moses. Moses brought them out of out of bondage, wandered with them in the desert for those 40 years, and they were able to see, um, they were able to look back and see what God had done for them of, of, of the, um, the most powerful civilization in the world at that time, chasing them down. And they get up against the Red Sea, and they're turned around, it's like, Moses, what are we going to do? God prays, or Moses prays to God, what are we going to do? And God says, step out into the, the Red Sea, and you'll have dry ground. And he does, and they, had that, they saw that happen. And then he saw the entire civilization, though all those soldiers that were chasing after them as they, the last person left and as the soldiers were following them, that water comes down on top of them and destroys them. That was Moses' generation. After Moses passes away, you get to Joshua. And we all know that verse in Joshua 1.8 as Joshua's fixing to enter into the land of Canaan um, with his family and with those people that he was given charge of. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And Joshua put that out there for them, and they knew of the works that were done. But now we get to the end of Joshua's life. Joshua has passed off the scene, and another group has come on, 
and we get to this passage in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It says, There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And if you read farther on into Judges, the entire book of Judges is about the ups and downs of the people of Israel who, who did what was right in their own eyes. And that was because their parents and their grandparents had not told them the works that God had done. They did not know the works that God had done. So it's so important for us to make sure that we are showing our students, that we are showing our children the things that God has done, how God has preserved you. There, all of you probably have stories in your lives where you can point back and say, this is where I see the hand of God working in my family. Your kids need to know that. They need to know that was God who did that. It wasn't just some fate. It wasn't some happenstance. It was God that was, and they need to hear you talk about that because that's what makes God real. You know, sometimes looking at the Bible, it's like, oh, this is something that happened 2,000 years ago. And yes, it's true. But we're such a visual group of people, such an experiential group of people, that when we see those things that happen to us and see how God worked in those things, it helps them understand God better. Next slide. And then they need to know what God's will is. And this, one, this one's a little bit more difficult, but I think it, it's, it's something that can be taught um, because there's two, there's two facets of it. First of all, there's the part where God tells us throughout Scripture what he wants us to do. One of my favorite passages is in Ecclesiastes, at the end of Ecclesiastes. And um, the author of Ecclesiastes has gotten to the end of his life, and the whole book of Ecclesiastes is talking about how vain everything is, vanity of vanities, all of vanities, um, and all this stuff that he had. And he gets to the end of his life, and he says, this is the whole duty of man, fear God and keep his commandments. You see, that part of it is easy to know what God's will is. There's so many. We've got the Ten Commandments. We've got the Beatitudes. We've got so many things in there where God has told us, do this, do this, do this. This is what I want you to do. These are the things that I want you to avoid. The harder part is, is when a student comes to me and says, Mr. Campbell, I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life either sometimes. Um, so, but I think that finding out those things that they're good at the things that they have an interest in, the things that bring them happiness and joy, God will give us the desires of our hearts if we're following him. So if we're knowing God, if we're knowing God's word, if we know God's works, seeking his will will become easy because we're following along in those lines. I heard an interesting thing a couple weeks ago where somebody said, if, if, if you want to know what God wants you to do, what are the things that when people come to you and say, hey, thanks for doing this, or thanks for saying this, or thanks for doing that, that really helped me. Those are the things where you are talented and you're gifted at. And as I got to thinking about that, I thought, that's, that's pretty spot on. Um, because I look at the lives of our students, I look at the lives of our, my son, I look at some of the things in my past where people had come to me and said, hey, thanks for helping out with this, this was really a blessing. Those are the areas that I was gifted at anyway. And so God has used me, God is using them and so helping our students understand those things um, will help them find God's will. So a few years ago, I had a friend who um, was, was scheduled to take a flight from Los Angeles to Cleveland, and he had a layover in, in Dallas-Fort Worth on that, on that trip. And so he was recounting this story to me um, as, as he was getting on the plane and, and, and making this trip. He said they got on the plane, and of course they were 
coming on the, the loudspeaker, giving, giving all the information, you know, the, the stewardesses, airline flight attendants, I guess that's the right word now, I forget sometimes, that they were supposed to do with their seatbelt and oxygen masks and all that. And he said, when they got done with that, the, the pilot came on. And the pilot said, um, we're going to have a, a, sl a slight delay. And of course, my friend's like, oh great, slight delay. I've, I've heard this one before. You know, they're going to get us off the plane. They're going to send us back in. Fifteen minutes later, they're going to tell us it's a 30, another 30 minutes wait. And after about three hours, they're going to have, finally have another plane. Um, and then we'll get on it. Basically, my day's shot. But the pilot went on to say, but we're going to take off anyway. Well, first of all, it's like, we're going to have a slight delay. And probably because of a mechanical problem, but now we're going to take off anyway? Why did you have to tell me this to begin with? You know, what's, what's the point? What, just, just let it go. He said, the reason I'm telling you this is as we taxi, you're going to hear this really loud noise. But it's okay. You're just going to hear this really loud noise. And so the, the, my friend's like, okay, that's, that's fine. So sure enough, they take off. They start taxiing down the runway. And he says, the pilot completely undersold the really loud noise. He said, they're, they're taxiing down the runway. And he says, there's this awful noise coming right from underneath where the landing gear is going, <laughs> He's like, I don't have to worry about getting up in the air. This thing's never going to get off the ground the way we're going. Well, sure enough, they, they taxi to the end of the runway. When they get to the end of the runway, the pilot comes back on and says, we're going to have to return back to the terminal. He's like, no joke. So sure enough, he says, we have to return to the runway. He said, we have a passenger who needs to deplane. Of course, if you've been on a plane and you've, you've, you've heard that announcement come up, it's like everybody's just audibly like, ah, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Basically, what they knew was somebody had gotten scared and they couldn't take off and it was going to be a problem. So sure enough, they, they taxi back to the, to the terminal. Um, the, the jet bridge comes out. They attach it to the plane. The doors open. And so now everybody's like, okay, who is it getting off the plane? You know, they're thinking, well, maybe it's some child. It's their first time ever flying. They're not with an adult or, you know, somebody with, with heart issues or, you know, panic, anxiety, what, uh, whatever. He says, from the back of the plane, this guy that's about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, that could have been a linebacker in the NFL, slowly takes that walk of shame down the aisleway. And he said, you know, most times, you know, if people are nervous, they'll, they'll have some sweat and they'll, you know, they'll have a little perspiration on their armpits and things like that. He said it was like they had, this guy had taken his shirt off, ducked it in a bucket of water, pulled it out, wrung it out, and put it back on. That was how wet his shirt was. And he was physically shaking the whole way down the aisleway. So he gets there, he gets off, and then he's like, this may be the smartest guy on the plane to get off the plane because he's probably going to be attending our funerals later on when we get off and go. But anyway, he said they stayed on and it taxis back down the runway. Of course, everybody's in complete silence as it goes. Um, still making that noise as it goes. And he said as soon as they get in the air, the noise goes completely away. And for the rest of the flight, smooth flying, no problems. Everything was great. They land in Dallas-Fort Worth and as soon as it hits the runway, he said, I wonder what happened to the sweaty guy. You see, the sweaty guy got off the plane because he didn't trust the pilot. And I think culturally, that's what we're seeing right now with our students. 
and with our, with, with our kids that are coming up, is they're getting off the plane because they don't trust the pilot. But why do they not trust the pilot? Are we doing our jobs as parents, as grandparents, as leaders to give them the information they need for them to trust the pilot? And so as you see, as, as culture continues to get off the plane, as their friends get off the plane, as our leaders get off the plane, you see, it'd be one thing, one guy gets off the plane, you know, that's, that's like the lone atheist that we all knew, grew up with, or, or maybe even we know now, it's like the one guy who's like, I don't believe in God or whatever. We, we, can, we can ignore that guy. We can try to reach him, but we can ignore that. But now when it's your best friend, when it's your neighbor, when it's your teacher, when it's, when it's a leader in your life is getting off the plane, and you're sitting there having to make this decision of, do I trust the pilot? Or do I trust these people around me? Have we given them the foundation, just like the Silver Dome, have we built them strong enough that they're going to be able to stand up? Next slide. And so I go back to, to Romans chapter 11, verse 5, where Paul says, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. You see, it's real easy for us to get caught up in, in what culture is doing, where people are going, what's happening. And we, we kind of tend to be like Elijah back in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. If you remember, Elijah had gotten to the point where he had been out in the wilderness and he was, he was looking for God and he didn't find him in the wind and he didn't find him in the fire and he didn't find him in the earthquake. He found him in the still small voice. And then at the end of that passage, Elijah cries out to God. He says, God, I am the only one in Israel who has not bowed the knee to Baal. I am the only one who is doing what they're supposed to do. Just take me away right now. Just take me up and get me out of this. And I love what God says to him. And um, I think it's in verse 18 of 1 Kings chapter 19. He says, Elijah, what you don't know is that there are 7,000 other prophets in the land of Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And so sometimes it feels like we're fighting this fight by ourselves. But we know that God is raising up a remnant. And as you read through Scripture, every time there was a situation when Israel was at the point of disaster, at the, at the brink of destruction, there was always a remnant that God used to bring his people back to him. You see it in the book of Daniel. You see it in Kings. You see it in Judges. You see it all throughout. There was always a remnant. And so personally, with my son... I want to make sure that I am raising up at least one that is a remnant that will still stand for God. Professionally, as the head of school, I want to make sure that every student who comes to our school has the opportunity to be a part of that remnant. And I think every parent and every grandparent in this room should have it as a goal that regardless of what goes on around our culture, around our society, in our neighborhoods, in our community, that we're going to make sure that we're raising up a remnant out of our midst that will stand up, that will trust the pilot, and that will stay on the plane. You see, I don't want to get into a situation like Abraham had when he um, was trying to, to save Sodom and Gomorrah for Lot. And he's, he, you know, he started off with a number and said, God, if there's this many, will you save it? And God said, yes. He couldn't find that many. He dropped that number down a little bit more. God, if there's this many, will you save it? Yes. He got it down to, if I can find 10 people, will you save it? And God said yes, and he couldn't even find 10 people in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And my prayer is that we're able to, God is able to at least find 10 people. I hope he's able to find a whole lot more. But are you doing your part to make sure that you're raising up a remnant in your family, in your household, in your community that doesn't get off the plane? Next slide. So a little bit about our vision of where we're going at the school. We have we, um, started a, a capital campaign about six months ago, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, um, but it's called Imagine the Future. And it's for this very reason, because we know that we have been given a call by God to raise up a remnant in our community. And we want to make sure that we are able to reach as many students as we possibly can. And so we are looking to build um, onto our, our campus. Um, we are starting um, with a preschool. Um, and, and, and here's the thing, and, and I talked to Chris about this, because I know you guys just started your own preschool here, and, and that's wonderful. Here's the thing. Our community needs as many Christian organizations in it to be able to get that word. So we do not feel like we are in competition with you, and Chris does not feel like he's in competition with us. We are all in competition against, going back to my first slides, against the devil, because we are all doing kingdom work. We all have the same end and goal in mind. What we are looking at, just like you guys, is we want to increase our capacity to influence our community. Our community needs, especially as Pleasant View continues to grow and we have more families moving into us from, you know, it used to be just Nashville and Clarksville, and now, I mean, I've got three families in our community. They're from California this year, uh, two from Chicago, different places. You know, they're coming to us. And so our community's growing. We want to increase our capacity to be able to reach more students and more families for the kingdom of God. Because here's, here's the thing. Um, you guys have an opportunity for two or three hours a week. I have an opportunity for 40 to 50 hours a week because I have kids that are captive. They're stuck with me for 40 to 50 hours a week um, that we get to do. And what I tell people all the time is we are an extension of the church that we get to do these things on a daily basis for 180 days a year for seven to eight hours a day of feeding into them, feeding them God's word, helping them understand um, God's plan and God's role for them in their lives. So how can you partner? Some of you may be hearing this. Some of you may have not known that Pleasant View, maybe you're new to the community, didn't know Pleasant View Christian School existed. We're just right around the corner. It used to be when I would tell people where we were, it's, it's always an interesting thing because it's like we're the warehouse looking building behind the cemetery. Um, it's not exactly the best way to market your school when you say you're a warehouse behind the cemetery, but in essence, that kind of is what we look like as a, um, a metal building that sits behind the cemetery there on, on, um, on 49. But next, go ahead, next slide. First of all, pray for us. Pray for us on a daily basis. Please put us on your prayer list because we are fighting spiritual warfare like I've never seen before. I've been in Christian education for 25 years. And some of the things that we're fighting right now, I have never seen these things before in, in our community or in, in, our, in our student body. Satan is attacking, which, which tells me that we're doing a good thing because if Satan's not attacking you, he probably doesn't see the need to come at you because you're probably not doing anything. Um, but we need your prayers. We covet your prayers um, because Satan is attacking us on every facet at every level um, because we are doing a good thing. Um, if you are so inclined, we would love to talk to you about how you might be a financial partner with us. I'm not going to harp on that, but if, if that is something that's in your wheelhouse, or if you know of somebody who, you know, has a bent towards Christian education or wanting to see those things happen, we would love to have that conversation um, with them. 
Uh, we're hoping that sometime in the spring, early summer, that we're able to begin moving forward with the, the actual work that's done on the property over there. Um, we are always looking for people who have skills and abilities, um, whether it be a business that you own um, or somebody that you know who has the ability to help us out with that process of, of, building, of building a building. Um, we would love to talk with you that because that definitely makes our financial burden um, less. And then if you would like to have more information about that, um, always reach out to us over at the school and I would love to give you a little bit more detail um, about the project. Next slide. <clears throat> so in closing, I, I want to encourage you to, to take evaluation of, of your family, of your kids, of your grandkids, because they are the most precious thing that God has given to you. We talk about that all the time at school. We are, we are entrusted with people's most pr precious commodity each and every day. But ultimately, if we do all these things that we're doing and we don't give them the information that they need to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven one day, we've done this all for naught. And that's your first responsibility as a parent. That's your first responsibility as a, as a grandparent is to your kids to make sure that they know God, that they know God's word, that they know his works, and that they're able to discern his will. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Um, we thank you so much for the blessings in our lives that you have given to us um, through our families, through our kids. Um, and even if there are people here who don't have, have children, um, Lord, we know that this church has a very vested interest in the students that attend here that they, to see that they know you, that they seek you out, that they find their will in you, and that ultimately they go on to become ambassadors for you as well, helping lead others. So as we travel this journey with our families, Lord, I pray that you put that burden on our hearts to make sure that they know you, that they know your word, that they know your works, and that they know your will. I pray for each family represented in here today that your hand of blessing will be placed on them, but also that your wisdom will be given to them as they navigate this journey because we're all on a different part of this journey and all of our journeys are different. Um, and we need your strength and we need your help um, to get through it. But ultimately, we do this to see souls in heaven so that they can avoid eternal damnation in hell. Because if we don't know that, then that's, that's what will happen to us. So thank you for your blessings. Thank you for everything that you've given to us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.